Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, Krejci's wife is with someone in Europe, and maybe that means he's going to sign. And then slowly more wives started coming together. And then all of a sudden you had a couple of pictures with some players. It's like, oh, Tori Krug's over there, and, and Patrice Bergeron is there, and, and all these people are doing stuff. It turns out it's just Tuka's getting married, and nobody, nobody you know, outside of the All right, everybody, welcome into an episode of the Bruce and Bruins podcast, season three, episode 88, somewhere in the 80s, I'm pretty sure. Uh, my name is Cam Hasbrook. I am joined by our two favorite co-hosts, Chris Gear and Isabel. Is How are you doing today? Hi. Is doing great. And Chris, how are you? Doing well. I'm a little, a little tired, just got off work, but... You know, we're here. We're going to grind it out. We're going to grind um, it out. And try hard. Get to the corners, get to the dirty areas. Um, Full 15 you know, minutes or whatever. Be, be, be tough to play against, you know? That's right. That's right. We're tough to pot against, which, which is kind of true. We're tough to pot with. So I think that's pretty much the same thing. We make it difficult. But, uh, well, Chris, what are, you, what are you sipping on over there on this uh, wonderful Tuesday afternoon? I am drinking what my lovely Paramore was drinking on the last episode that we were on. Uh, I think that was the last episode entirely. It is a Mike Hess Blood Orange IPA called Into the Sunset. And it's just lovely. This is really lovely beer. It matches with your uh, your bracelet there, your pumpkin yeah, bracelet. Yeah, it does. Um, it's very nice. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tasty. Uh it's tasteable. I'm gonna give it 31 tasteability, uh, drinkability. Pretty high for an IPA. It's not too, not too aggressive. Uh, 26. Heck yeah! Uh, I am drinking just a uh, PBR. Nothing crazy. I've been running around like crazy. I wanna, you know, actually, I wanna, I wanna make a commitment to. I feel like I've been drinking a lot of like, not to call PBR boring, but like boring beers over the last few weeks because I've been really busy traveling and stuff. And I was away from Maine all weekend because my uh, dad runs a charity hospice golf tournament every year. And that was yesterday on Monday. Um, So I was away the whole time. And uh, all I had in the fridge was some PBRs. But I want to commit to bringing some more craft beer onto this podcast. 
Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna mark my words now so that Lancey can hold me accountable when he never really marks this down. So, uh, but anyway, PBR. I don't know. It's it's unbeatable. Drinkability besides Miller Lite, of course. Drinkability, thirty-seven. Tasteability. This is a sixteen-ounce can, and I'm gonna give it a sixteen tasteability because it's it's tasteable. That's what I like about PBR. Uh, is you're snacking on something over there? What are you What are you munching on? Anything delicious? Yogurt. Oh, yogurt. Yeah. What kind? Um, I think it's orange. It's I mean, well, the yogurt orange, but I can't tell the flavor. It's an orange color for sure. Like a clementine or Maybe something. Like peach, I don't know. Let me smell that. Oh, that's peach for sure. Peach. Oh, that makes yeah. oh, peach yogurt's good though. That's it's a good, good choice. Isabel, um, what's your favorite flavor of yogurt? <laughs> I don't know. That's no. okay. You don't have to know. Um, are you drinking anything? No. What are you drinking? No. Milk. Nice. How is it? Is it good milk? Mm-hmm. All right. I looked in the fridge and I'm like, I don't see anything else. I'll just take milk. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Well, we need to do some grocery shopping and that's going to happen soon. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we have very little hockey to talk about because it is August, um, but we're getting closer to preseason, and then we'll have fake hockey to talk about, so that's neat. Uh, but for now, it was uh, the middle of summer, which means it is, of course, wedding season, uh, and we had a couple of Bruins family weddings over the past week or two. Uh, I, I kind of loved how, first of all, the, the Tuga Rask wedding unplayed because it started out as like, oh, Krejci's wife is with someone in Europe and maybe that means he's going to sign. And then slowly <laughs> more wives started coming together. And then all of a sudden you had a couple of pictures with some players. It's like, oh, Tori Krug's over there and, and Patrice Bergeron is there and, and all these people are doing stuff. It turns out it's just Tuga's getting married and nobody nobody you know outside of the of the crew knew about it. So... Uh, it was kind of comical to watch people read way into just like normal wedding behavior. But yeah, congratulations to to Tukes. Anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows that we are staunch Tukarask supporters. Uh, and I'll take that one to the grave. So yeah, and uh, also congrats to Taylor Hall. That wedding was also uh, this past weekend, I guess. Uh, got some got some interesting. I think the most interesting thing to me is figuring out like learning in real time like who players best friends were on the yeah. teams they played for like Tuka being close with Milan Lucic is not a surprise to me at all but there mm-hmm. were some there were some newer guys there like I mean Charlie McAvoy being being at that wedding is really cool um and and then like Taylor Hall be like having uh having Charlie Coyle at his wedding is yeah. like, like that's those are interesting things that you know, I don't really yeah. think about I don't know you wouldn't expect you hope that translates to some on ice chemistry or something, but uh, yeah, no, it's kind of cool to see like the kind of the old guard at one and and the new guard at the other. And I know if you're breaking down the hockey playing abilities between the two, it's a little less fun, but um, kind of cool to see the. I don't want to see the split in the locker room because you'd hope you know that's just kind of the, the niches that people have, but certainly a cool thing to see. And uh, and yeah, it was it was certainly hilarious watching. <laughs> All the speculation play out over the course of that time. There was something else about Tuga's wedding that I was going to bring up. He was kind of, oh yeah, he laid out some sweet dance moves. I don't know if you saw that. 
And uh, it looked like a lot of the other potentially injured Bruins were <laughs> getting up too. So it's nice to see they're all looking healthy enough to, to go hard for a night. But um, uh, yeah, that's what it was. I, it, it's nice to see you mentioned Charlie McAvoy at the uh, kind of the old guard wedding, if you will. It gives me hope there, you know, that he's he's being instilled with that championship culture and not with the the culture of losing in the first round of the Hurricanes. <laughs> I think that's a real case of uh, real recognize real. Like, mm-hmm. they know that this kid's, like, absolutely special and going to be uh, just a big, a big part of the Bruins' history, I guess. Like, I, I yeah. think when you go down the line, you say, like, all right, Zidane Chara is, uh, like, the last great Bruins defenseman is the next great one is going to be Charlie McAvoy. Yeah. And, you know, you can look all the way back and go to Ray Bork and whatnot and Bobby Orr. And I, I think he's going to be in that conversation when, when the game's over. Yeah. You can only hope so. And uh, especially with like, in you know, it's going to be interesting with today's NHL because, I don't know, modern sports are, as we're seeing in, in baseball today on, on deadline day, a lot less uh, it, seemingly at least a, a lot less players are spending their whole career in one spot. So, you know, I think McAvoy is undoubtedly one of those guys who you are labeling as a franchise player and you're trying to lock down long-term and they've, they've done that. Um, but you never know. Those things still go crazy sometimes. So uh, I hope that we are sitting here one day uh, with Isabel breaking down the career of Charlie McAvoy in, in hindsight and, uh, and speaking with him among those Bruins traits. They've had some pretty uh, pretty good luck with, I guess maybe not luck, but pretty good runs with franchise defensemen over the years. I feel like each decade has had like one, at least, that you kind of associate with, with an icon. Yeah, and that's one of those things that you absolutely must have in order to be a, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I mean, it's, I don't even remember the last team who, who won a cup who didn't have like a true uh, like top 10 defenseman. Um, yeah, a pretty pretty important thing, and I, like you said, I I do think it's lucky because I mean you you don't go into the draft yeah. at, with what pick fourteen thinking oh yeah we're gonna get like our cornerstone defenseman, but that's what the Bruins ended up with. Not too shabby. Yeah, it's always interesting to then like go back into history too and see like like the story of how Bobby Orr ended up on the Bruins is crazy. You know what I mean? Like the Canadian kid and stealing him from pretty much pretty much Montreal's territory and obviously becoming the greatest defenseman of all time and, and changing how the sport is played. It's a pretty crazy turn of events there, but um, yeah, go, go beast defenseman. Hopefully we got more coming down the pipeline somewhere. Got to keep that train rolling, but <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports. You can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season. Like never before feel the sweat. All right. <laughs> Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet of up to $1,000. And if it does not win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit with your cash whenever you want. Download DraftKings app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, and shouts to uh, Massachusetts uh, legalizing sports betting. So uh, 
believe our podcast is going to be one of those uh, one of those uh, sports betting site things now for DraftKings. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's cool. We're, we are not a Massachusetts based podcast, but we are a podcast. We have we have literally <laughs> we're none of us are located in Massachusetts, which is kind of funny, but. Before we jump into uh, kind of, I don't know, fun's maybe not the right word. Hopefully it's fun. Uh, conversation, I uh, did want to just point out that it was another sort of sad, underwhelming day for our lovely sport uh, with yet another scandal going on, this time with the Michigan men's ice hockey team, specifically with the coach. Um, Isabel is here with us, so I won't dive into any of the crazy details. She doesn't um, have her headphone in right now. She's good. Um, all right. Well, then, in that case, this is just being reported today um, from The Athletic, reporting that an investigation is being done uh, into the Michigan men's ice hockey coach, Mel Pearson, for, among other things, berating his staff, misleading recruits, and apparently retaliating against Strauss Mann, who was the goaltender and team captain at the time, who allegedly tried to – uh, work within the organization to change the culture of the team, and then uh, was allegedly forced out by the head coach, uh, among other things. Uh, just another reminder. I mean, we try to have fun on this podcast because that's what hockey should be. But you know, no no sport exists that is separate from you know the issues in our society, and you know these platforms that athletes have are important to use. And you know, this is just another reminder that there's still a lot of work to be done in this sport, and people across every spectrum of, of the, the hockey community need to be involved in that. It's players, it's coaches, it's media, it's fans, it's, it's everyone. So uh, we certainly don't want to be coming on here and talking about this. I would way rather shoot the shit with uh, Drew's ridiculous, <laughs> whatever his thing was a couple weeks ago. Oh, the Druids. Druids and Druids is a lot more fun than this, but uh, this is unfortunately happening. Just one, one specific point of this that I wanted to point out that everyone should remember right now because there's a lot of this going on. Well, among the allegations was that the head coach had failed to act on uh, another staff member who was being accused of, of sexual harassment. And he dismissed it because he, quote, didn't see it happen, which is obviously extremely ignorant. And this is just one more reminder to everyone out there that just because you did not see something happening doesn't mean it did not happen. And it might be a brighter idea to kind of open your mind and, and trust people when they're coming forward about these things. So. It's also like the the biggest, easiest cop out when you, know, you can you can just plead ignorance and just say like, oh yeah, it's like I don't want to have to deal with that. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's not okay for anybody to do, but especially as the figurehead of uh, of a team. And of a, of a college hockey program, nonetheless, uh, is extremely disappointing in, in, in that. So, again, we'll see where this goes. This is The Athletic, I believe, just reporting on it today for the first time. Uh, Katie Strang of The Athletic is the one who came out with it. So, you can follow along with her coverage. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're going to move on to uh, some more positive-focused hockey, hopefully, uh, which is a, a little bit of a crossover, I thought, of, because we're in the middle of baseball season, and the Red Sox suck anyway, so let's let's try to talk about a little something. I was just thinking earlier, as, as trade deadline day unfolds here for Major League Baseball, that the Bruins and the Red Sox are kind of in a similar spot organizationally right now, where they're kind of on the back end of a playoff window and have to try to decide how the best – 
ways to go about making a, a transition, whether you yeah. still have enough to keep things going right away or whether you want to take some time and retool. So uh, I figured we could just talk through this for a couple of minutes and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But uh, with the Red Sox trading Christian Vasquez, their longest tenured player and the, I believe the only player from that 2013 world series team that was around uh, <clears throat> and moving on from, you know, obviously it sounds like a, a number of contracts coming off the books this off season. Uh, I'm curious, you know, if you see the Bruins doing a similar thing this year where they're going to see how they can contend through the first couple months and, and if things don't go well, whether we might see, I don't, I don't want to say a fire sale because the Red Sox certainly didn't pull off a fire sale. And that's kind of one of the interesting things is that they sort of tempered a little bit more than I was expecting. They certainly sold, but they bought a little bit too. And I'm curious if you think the Red Sox or the, the Bruins rather will try to pull off a, a middleman approach if it's not clear where they stand, uh, you know, at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think that's the that's the easy way out for both ownership and management to say, hey, we're trying, uh, but not really doing anything, going over the top to, to do anything that will secure, you know, your good players long term or move them for like future assets or bring in like big assets from the outside. And I think it's a little bit different because when you talk about the Red Sox, it's about the luxury tax and that's not a hard cap. And it's, it's pretty tough to be, uh, I mean, I guess it's not tough. considering I've basically moved my allegiances from the Red Sox to the Padres until the Red Sox prove that they're willing to try to win. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see the Padres, the 27th, largest market in the country um i guess not country in the the league um shouts to the toronto blue jays um and they just traded for juan soto and josh bell uh and josh Hader Um, among an already stacked roster yeah they're they're pulling in everybody they've been playing without their best player uh fernando tatis and uh, they, they signed him to a huge contract in the offseason. Um, and I, they're going to have to pay Juan Soto a ton of money uh, in order to keep him around. Uh, he's arbitra- arbitration eligible for the next two years and he's probably going to set some records. So that, that ownership group is willing to shell out money to win a championship or at least to ha- get some playoff experience. I mean, they, they signed Manny Machado to a huge contract. Um, they even had like kind of a, a stop start where they, they tried it before with Eric Hosmer, who's now a, a Red Sox first baseman. Um, they, Will Myers and Craig Kimbrell, who also played for the Red Sox for a while, shots to him winning a, a World Series with the Red Sox, where they put a lot of money into, into guys like that and Matt Kemp, and they really tried to push all in and it didn't work. And they pretty quickly gave up on that and then sold those guys off for, for prospects those prospects, uh, some of them uh, draft picks that they that they picked up turned into Juan Soto today, um, and like that's a, a cool thing to see an organization do. Whereas the Red Sox decided to trade a cornerstone player in Mookie Betts and got very little 
to actually show for it in return. I think Alex Verdugo's a fine player, um, whatever. Uh, and the prospects they got back have been okay. Um, and that's disappointing. Um, and they weren't able to really turn any of those players into anything else or make any big splashes. And that's tough to see. When you talk about the Bruins, they're kind of stuck in cap prison, like a self-imposed cap prison where they gave out contracts that weren't movable to players that weren't necessarily deserving of those of those contracts um, and have kind of tried to stand pat where they made a couple of big moves. I would say the Taylor Hall trade was was a big one and, and signing him that yeah that's a big deal that's adding a player that's necessary to get to the next level but he's been good not great and that hasn't been like a an over-the-top move um and i think it's it's really tough to get better in free agency in the nhl because you're gonna have to overpay to get this and you know, if the Bruins wanted to win a championship, if they want to win a Stanley Cup next year, um, signing guys like Nazem Kadri would be a, a really smart move, except you have to deal with the cap. And you can't, you don't have, I don't know, whatever $8 million it's going to take to get him. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it is interesting to see like two kind of stalling franchises. Uh, moving in parallel toward some kind of, I wouldn't say apocalypse scenario, but, you know, you're looking at, like, all right, what happens when we're already kind of confronting, like, well, the Bruins have not signed David Krejci or Patrice Bergeron as of this recording, so uh, Still. we're, we're going to find out either this year or next year what it's going to be like without them, and the, there are, there's, there's nothing in the organization that, I mean, that's that's the biggest similarity between the Red Sox and the Bruins is that they've had really bad farm systems for a while since Dave Dabrowski gutted the Red Sox farm system, which fine. I have no I have no qualms with that. They won a championship because of it, but um, it's really coming back to bite them. And the Bruins have just been unlucky with prospects. They've had they've dealt away a lot of their draft picks. Some of them. For good reasons, some of them for Rick Nash reasons. Um, yeah, it's been some of them for getting rid of uh, bad contracts. Or so, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's it's been tough. To, it it really shows how important it is to draft and develop well. Um, and I know our dear friend Patrick Laverty has been on the crusade. I'm sure that everyone knows that Don Sweeney is not actually bad at drafting. And that's fine, but you need to have those assets in order to create a good farm system. Yeah. And that hasn't happened. Yeah. And I also would say, like, not being awful at drafting is not the same as being particularly good at drafting. And it's not just Don Sweeney. This is an organizational thing. I mean, the scouting system and, and the draft goes well beyond Don Sweeney, but obviously he's at the head of that. So he's the one who's going to head start rolling. <laughs> um, but, yeah, interesting, like you said, to see those two organizations in kind of limbo and very similarly, it seems like kind of trying to sidestep their responsibility or – 
you know. They're trying to make the playoffs and not much more. Yeah. I think is, is what we're really looking at. Yeah. They've been good enough recently that they can do that. And, yeah. And we'll keep selling tickets. So, um, For way too much money. For way too much. That's the theme. That's the really the thing that ties the two teams together is that they'll just overcharge the hell out of you for tickets and beer. It's Boston. It's a, a historic sports city, and people will go watch the games, and they know that. Yeah. Comes with its benefits, and it comes with its downfalls. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, um, speaking of historic sports things, people uh, – just wanted to recognize Bill Russell on this uh, podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He passed away uh, this past weekend. Um, just a, a super important person. Um, I, I think it's a very cliche thing to say. He's a, he's a great basketball player and he's a better person. Than a better person, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, Sometimes it's true. This, yeah. this, this man was a, a civil rights icon. Um, just, I mean... If you don't know a lot about Bill Russell, seriously, just go back and read. So there were, there've been some like retrospective articles that were written like pretty recently that do like a a whole whole breakdown of like his career on and off the court. And I'm sure like the obituaries are are pretty excellent. I, I started reading before those started pouring out, but um, also just like a hilarious dude. Yeah, uh, stood on stage with. Uh, a bunch of just legendary centers and at the age of like 80 something whatever just turned to them all and said I kick your asses <laughs> and also uh, gotta respect it flipped off Charles Barkley on national television yeah <laughs> so. and then like I forget I read the the, uh, the quote he had afterward he was like oh I felt bad but like you know, I didn't realize when you see Charles, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> like, it's good stuff. But yeah, there, there's just like so much important stuff about, you know, he's one of the first like star players who was black and stood up for um, civil rights at, at every turn. Suggested when, I, I think they were in Atlanta um, and he kind of led the charge to uh, protest the game uh, when one of the hotels wouldn't let the black players stay in it. And uh, they boycotted the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this man walked the walk. And uh, I watched a lot of videos of, of him talking to a bunch of NBA players and his, his impact didn't, didn't stop when he stopped playing. He was a huge influence on a lot of people. and. Um, just really sad to see that there's been a push recently to retire as number six across the league uh, in kind of the Jackie Robinson manner. And uh, hell yeah, I agree with that. Hell yeah. Um, all right. Well, cheers. It's Bill Russell. Wink. Kind of hard when you have mic covers on, but there you go. <laughs> And uh, we'll see you back here whenever we release another episode, which will be probably in the next couple of days. But you yeah, know. we're, we're going to do like six episodes this week. Get ready. Yeah, or something like that. And by we, I mean uh, or, Cam we'll see and or like, Drew. We'll see you in like <laughs> two months, maybe. I don't know. Keep it real, everybody. Don't be a dick. Peace bye. out. Bye, Isabel. You want to say bye?
Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Iz.